How many of you have been blessed today so far? Amen. Amen. You know, um, we're doing something new. We tried it out at our last camp, and it was such a success that we decided to do it again. Um, how many of you come to these type of meetings, and there's usually a question and answer period? GYC, question and answer. And the speakers are on the panel, and you get to ask them all kinds of questions. Well, we're changing it around just a little bit. And before I tell you exactly what we're doing, you know, um, our family was um, driving one day in the car. And, and I'm always asking Ivor, you know, Bible questions. And I finally was like, you know what? I need to go deeper and study deeper for myself. I need to be able to explain it for myself. If somebody calls me and asks me a question and it's too hard, I, I quickly say, hold on, let me ask my husband. And, you know, one day... He may not be there. I need to know it for myself. And so we were talking in the, um, in the car one day, and we thought, wow, wouldn't that be fun to do that at Army Bible Camp? Do like a courtroom scene. So, you know, in a courtroom, you have, um, well, you usually don't have this big of a team of prosecutors, um, but we have a big team of prosecutors here. You have a judge, and then you have those who um, are called on the witness stand. We were reading um, a devotional one day. I think it was for prayer meeting, um, the prayer life or the worship life of the remnant. I think that's the, the chapter, something like that. And they were just saying how you will have to de defend your faith. Children will have to defend their faith, and you, will not, you may not even have a Bible there to refer to, and you will not have your pastor or your elder to call, or um, teenagers, your parents may not be with you. you will, they won't be with you. You will have to stand there and defend your faith on your own. And so we are going to do a mock trial this afternoon, and you guys are on trial. Are you excited? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You'll be... You're, Believe it or not, you're, you're going to be able to answer some of these questions, and some of them you may not be able to answer, but that will show you that you need to go home and study deeper, and we all need to do that. Um, the rules of um, our trial, you, if you think what's going to happen is one of the prosecutors is going to come up and ask a question, and it's their doctrinal questions, right? Correct? All doctrinal questions? Okay. And if you think that you know the answer, you cannot just... Um, raise your hand and give the answer. You have to prove it from the Word of God. So you have to come up here. We'll choose you. You come up here. Um, you bring your Bible, and you can give your answer and then prove it from the Word of God why that's your answer. So again, you cannot just say what we've always heard growing up as Adventists, because I know in my youth Sabbath school class we do this, and the kids know all the right answers, but I say, where can you prove it in the Bible? And they don't know where to go. So if you raise your hand, be ready to have to prove it from the Bible. If you don't get the question right, we'll give um, somebody um, an, a chance to do it, but we only give two chances, chances per question. Um, is that pretty self-explanatory? Oh, yes, they know to come up. We said they have to come up here. Um, Taylor is acting as our bailiff. <laughs> B 
But at this time, every courtroom has to have a judge. So at this time, we would like to invite the Honorable David Stewart to the bench. All rise. The Supreme Court for the state of Georgia is now in session. <laughs> judge David Stewart presided. Uh, Bailiff uh, Taylor. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, Sergeant Hess just challenged you in the back. He said if you don't need a real bailiff, you know, he's a sergeant in Ventura County. We'll wait till the sun sets, Your Honor. We'll talk about that. All right. Thank you. All right. Now, if this is like most public courtrooms, it was probably built by the lowest bidder. So if it's too hot or too cold, I apologize. We're doing the best we can. I understand, uh, Bailiff Taylor, that you have summoned or maybe ha hauled into court a group full of Christians today. Is that true? That's right, Your Honor. They're all here, present. And I understand that the rule book that they live by, that they claim to believe, is the Bible. Is that correct? That's correct, Your Honor. Well... 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So today we have on trial this group of Christians on whether they can defend their beliefs according to the rule book that they purport to live by. Is that correct? That's correct, Your Honor. And in front of us we have a panel of distinguished prosecutors here in the state of Georgia. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Are you folks a match against seven skilled prosecutors? Oh, yeah? Okay, we'll see. That's already the wrong answer, Your Honor. I'd like to call up the first prosecutor. We'll just go ahead and go in order since I'm not very... Uh, well, we'll just bring up the first prosecutor, Ira Myers. Thank you, Your Honor. Do you have a question, Mr. Yes. Prosecutor? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, I understand that um, you, as uh, Seventh-day Adventists, believe that uh, Sabbath is on Saturday. Is that correct? I see. Uh, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> The Bible says in verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. This verse is evidence that the early church kept Sunday, the first day of the week, and not Saturday. Do you have an answer to the charge? Is there a witness who would like to come forward to, to answer the question posed by Prosecutor Myers? Ma'am, would you please come up to the podium? Matt. You can stand behind that podium, right please. Here, please state your name. Claire Tanner. My name is Claire Tanner. 
Thank Your you. Your Honor. Do you have a criminal record? No, sir. Okay. Are you sure. prepared to answer the question? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, if you would turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 and 42, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And uh, it says that they went from... Oh, yes, verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So they were breaking bread so each day of the week at different people's houses. There was not evidence to show that it was just on the first day. Is that a sufficient answer for you? I don't have any other questions at this moment, Your Honor. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Thank you. All right, uh, Dr. Pundit is our next prosecutor. Your Honor. Are we on? Am I on? Yeah. Your Honor, they are quite a devious bunch, I found them to be. <laughs> if you ask them to open that Bible, they might twist you around, so let me ask them something about the Bible, with your permission. Yes. Jesus was a completely fabricated figure. The old religious leaders formed that story and put words in his mouth and made it into a book because they wanted to have the power in the community so that they could twist the conscience of the people and subjugate them. So my question is very, very direct and simple. If I said I am telling the truth, and if you asked me why, and if I said because I said it, would that not be circular reasoning? Yes. So I would like to ask somebody, why would they say Jesus ever existed by some solid evidence apart from what they hold in their hands? as the Judeo-Christian scriptures. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. The only questions from the audience have to come from the witness stand. Are you prepared to come forward and answer this man's questions? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, yes come forward please. Uh, would the record reflect he just took off his jacket? There's no fighting allowed in this courtroom, all right? Okay. okay. Please state your name. Angelo. Do you have a criminal record? Well, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> it, does, it does go to credibility, though. Okay. <laughs> anyway, would you please answer this man's question? So it's, it's, um, does it have to be um, answered biblically or, by, or, or other than the Bible? Did other you? than the Bible. I just said... If you say you're saying the truth and I say why and you said because I said so, that is circular reasoning. So if you return to the, your Bible and say it's written in the Bible, that is circular reasoning. Okay. Give me some historical evidence outside the Bible, outside your Bible. <laughs> my Bible. Does anyone have a Bible I can use? I have to send my Bible. <laughs> Angelo, uh, point of order, your, uh, your Angelo, honor. <laughs> Angelo, don't split hairs. That he wants extra biblical support to validate, verify, in some way, verify that Jesus Christ was a real historical figure. 
Okay. Well, um, according to the history books that um, at least I used in public school, um, they themselves said, in fact, that there was Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified on a cross. Do you have the reference or are you just guessing? Um, I'm this is a court of law. I mean, Thank you. It is. I'm going to need a shuttle to run back to my cabin. <laughs> Point of order, your honor. If he does not have any evidence, let him say so. No evidence there. Um, your Honor, I have no evidence, as, uh, no substantial evidence at this point. No Thank you. Evidence. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for trying. Please step down. <laughs> Ms. Farmer? <clears throat> oh, okay, sorry. Uh, well, Your Honor, uh, there's a couple that I can think of. The first one is Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. And the second one is a, a Roman historian. I think his name was Tertullus. I can't remember how to, how to say it, but he called Jesus Christos, and he was, said he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. So there's two. One uh, was a Gentile, one was a Jew. You can continue asking if you're not satisfied with the answer. <laughs> I don't have my Bible, so. Well, according I, to him, I, you don't need it. I am. Go ahead. I am impressed enough to join you, so shall I give you some more evidence? Okay, sure. Cornelius Tacitus. Okay. Known as the greatest historian of ancient Rome. About Nero, he said, he falsely charged with guilt the persons commonly called Christians. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. This is the only mention of Pontius Pilate in secular history. And this refers to the death of Christus. Lucian of Samosata said the Christians worship a man. Suetonius, a Roman historian, said, as the Jews were making disturbances at the instigation of Christus, Pliny the Younger, who was governor of Bithynia and Asia Minor, wrote to Trajan the emperor. May, he said, I made them curse Christ, which a genuine Christian cannot be induced to do. Pallas. History, who wrote the history of Eastern Mediterranean, dated A.D. 52. He said there was a darkness in the land on a certain day. And that day was mentioned as a sixth day of the week. And he described it as an eclipse of the moon. But an eclipse of the moon cannot happen when there's a full moon. Mara Bar Serapian mentioned three figures in history. He mentioned Socrates. And he said, what did the Athenians gain out of killing Socrates? He mentioned Pythagoras and said, what did the people of Samos gain while burning up Pythagoras? And then he went on to say, what, did, what advantage the Jews gain from executing their wise king? The Babylonian Talmud, I quote, on the eve wait, of Passover, they wait, hanged Yeshu. Can I interrupt you just yes. a second? Because I think you covered a very important point. What was the last point you just made? Marabar Serapian? I didn't quite catch the reference. I, <laughs> I'm just going by the substance. Something about why would they crucify their own king? What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? And why is that important? Because the other two are historical figures. And so he was writing historical figures. All right. Thank you. The Babylonian Talmud says, on the eve of Passover, they hanged Yeshua. 
Josephus whom you mentioned. Here are his words. Now there was about this time Jesus. And then he says in another place, the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ, whose name was James, was stoned to death. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Pundit. Thank you, Ms. Farmer. All right. Uh, Prosecutor Olfill, are you prepared to ask your question? Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. Your Honor, I understand that the state of Georgia uh, has recently uh, instituted a law, or we should say amended a law. There was the law against the discrimination of race, uh, <clears throat> sex, or, or sexual preference. And uh, then the legislature recently uh, added religion uh, as, uh, as discrimination to speak against religions. Now, it's my understanding that the Seventh-day Adventist uh, Church is, is speaking against the Catholic Church and against Protestants. It, ca it calls the Catholic Church the beast or the Antichrist, and it calls the Protestants Babylon. And I think that the church uh, or the members of the church should be prosecuted for a violation of our uh, hate crimes. So what's your question? <laughs> my, my question, Your Honor, is they should give reason why they are not violating this law. Can you please summarize exactly what the law prohibits in terms of discrimination against religions? Because there are discrimination laws that say you cannot refuse to hire someone for a job, for instance, because of their religion, or uh, to assault someone because of their religion. Well, but I, what particular discrimination law? Excuse me, I'm using the wrong terminology. We're talking about the hate crimes. All right. Uh, as you know, for for some years, uh, Canada has had a hate crimes that prohibited uh, speaking against uh, sexual preference, and now here in Georgia, we've gone a step further and say it's a hate crime to speak against other religions. And we feel that the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church is in violation of this law. And is your understanding that this is a law prohibiting, uh, as you call it, hate crimes against religion in a public forum or even in private? Or do you know the scope of that law? I, uh, I guess this would be uh, uh, in a public forum. I personally am acquainted with an evangelist uh, that has your same name. I don't know if he's related or not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he publicly is, is preaching that the uh, Protestant churches are Babylon and the Catholic church is the, is the beast. And I think that the Seventh-day Adventist should be, uh, should be punished for this uh, to the full extent of the law. So your question is? That they should give reason why they are not. In, in, in other words, we have accused them as a state of violating the hate crimes law. All right. And, and I think that they should show this court that they're not. All right. Is there someone who would like to accept this question? Please, please come forward, sir. No, I want you to come to this witness stand, please. You see my bailiff there, make sure people behave in court. Would you please state your name? Alvin Bruton. Thank you. You may answer the question. 
the way I understand the question is something being said as far as the Seventh-day Adventist Church being in violation by saying something about other religions? Yes, violating the hate crime law that prohibits you from speaking against another religion in a public forum. In order for it to be a hate crime, what you say must be untrue. What we're saying is not untrue. <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> As you know that, that, that we instituted... Uh, Can you speak up, sir? Yes, I'm sorry. The, yes, Can you the, all hear him? The, 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 You're having a trouble hearing? Okay, please speak up. That we instituted, uh, Your Honor, the... Uh, the sexual preference, uh, you know, uh, that, that would be that we, that we shouldn't speak against the homosexual lifestyle. And now, and the homosexual lifestyle is reality. Well, you know, it may actually exist. <laughs> okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't speak up enough, you speak too loud, okay? <laughs> Can we kind of equalize the volume? Thank you. Again, this was built by the lowest bidder, okay, true, the Your sound Honor, system. I, Go ahead. I, I do get loud. I'm, I really never needed a microphone, but I'll take it. Uh, All right. wh what you have to understand is we're, we're not saying uh, anything that's untrue still. All we're saying is that they're wrong. Well, I guess, in other words, if you're saying, if you're saying that the Protestant churches are Babylon, and that the Catholic Church is the, is the Antichrist, that... Uh, Prove to me that they are. Okay, now let me, let me ask one clarifying question. Would you acknowledge that if, in fact, he's speaking the truth, that that's a defense to the hate crime law? Well, only, Your Honor, that the, uh, that the homosexuals are true. They okay, let's insist. get away from the homosexuals. Well, 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 no, no. Okay, we're just talking about hate crime in terms of religion. So he, ha he raises a valid point. He says... If, in fact, he can prove that this so-called hate discrimination is actually stating truth, as, as, even though people may not like it, the fact is, if it's true, does that uh, provide a defense to stating the, that uh, those facts, if you will, because if they're well, true, well, no, they're facts. Uh, Your Honor, whether it, it is true. Oh, it is? It, you it, acknowledge it, no, it no, is no, true. No, no, in other, words, in other words, what he says, what he says He's representing himself as true. Now, I want to ask him why he says that. He says, I'm telling the truth, and I guess I'm with you, Your Honor. Okay. He should tell us why he, he bases that. It's still violation of the law. Okay. It's well, violation okay. of the law, even, but, if, even if he can justify it. So it's if he can prove that the, the so-called, the uh, quote-unquote hate language is actually true, would you admit that that's a defense to the hate crime law? I, I just think he's, for this reason, we've, clean, we've just cleaned out the dungeon, Your Honor. Okay, I'm not getting a straight answer. Go ahead and answer his question, though, would you? All right. Uh, he, he wants, he can, mentioned you, can you prove that, uh, such as, I understand you folks put on prophecy seminars where you talk about a little horn? Oh, yes. Coming up out of some kind of crazy beast? Absolutely. And you claim that little horn represents who? Well, we, uh, we don't claim it. We've proven that. Okay. It, it, who, do you, who do you prove that it represents? Well, it, it, it represents uh, uh, the papacy. Okay. And he wants proof for that. Can you All prove right. that to us? Well, the first proof that I want to give him is the fact that the papacy has claimed that the Pope is the vicar of Christ. And I can prove in this Bible that the only vicar he left here was the Holy Spirit. Okay. But how do you tie the vicar 
if you will. Well, they're saying that the vicar is Christ's representative. I didn't even finish the question. Okay. I'm not trying to be difficult. I understand. How do you tie in the vicar of Christ to the to the uh, Antichrist? Well, by one claiming to be the vicar of Christ makes him the Antichrist. All right, and how do you define Antichrist? What does that word actually mean? Well, of course, we know that anti means against. Okay, is there any other definitions for Antichrist? Sounds like you have some people helping you out. Pardon me? Okay, they're saying in place of. Well, yeah, the, but we can't have anything in place of Christ. All right. So do you have any other, do you have any other, do you have any other proof on who the Antichrist is other than the fact that the Pope claimed to be the vicar of Christ? By the way, what does that word vicar mean? Representative. Aren't you a representative of Christ? No, sir. How many people in this courtroom claim to be representatives of Jesus Christ? Are they all antichrists? No, they're not. Well, then you better, you got some splaining to do. No, I'm a representative. <laughs> I'm a representative of what he taught. Your Honor, could I speak with you? Have a moment now, please. <laughs> Sidebar, do you want, I need to have both sides to make it fair. Do you mind if he comes up? We got a bailiff to keep the peace, and I got a, okay. Go ahead. Do you want to speak off the record? Off the record, Your Honor. Okay. We, okay, this is, why don't you just tell them what you told me? It, I didn't find it that secretive. I, I think, Your Honor, what we're, uh, what we're asking here is that, is that without proof or not proof, see, see, the issue is hate. The issue is hate. In other words, they should be able to, to, to prove to this court that what they're doing, whether we agree with it or not, is not hate and in violation of the law. Okay, do you understand the clarification? Absolutely. He's not, as cons he's not really that concerned with the truth or falsity Absolutely. of the claims of who the Antichrist is, but if the law actually says your motivation is hate, is that in fact the motivation of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in oh. claiming the little horn or the, little, the, the uh, Antichrist power is the papacy? Can you address, can no you address the motivation? No hatred involved whatsoever. All right. I rest no, my hatred. case. I rest uh, my case. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Uh, uh, you know, it's love that motivates us All right. to try to make them understand that, that, that it's not hatred on our part. It's love on our part. Okay. Can you explain that, please? Well, it's like if you see a brother in trouble on the street and you happen to have enough money to feed him, you've got to pluck him out of the problem. We're simply trying to pluck him out of the problem. All right. Do you have any biblical texts that help to justify why you would go around potentially hurting people's feelings by telling them they might belong to a system that is dubbed the Antichrist? Luke 6:27. Sir, please. <laughs> There's a reason we call people up because they have the floor. It's it's. It, we're not here to judge them. We're okay. Not. Do you have a text? Oh, yeah. I, I might not be able to... <laughs> Sergeant Hess, would you please quiet the audience? Yes, right there. Thank you. Thank you. 
what I would like to quote a text and uh, go ahead and then we'll be done with this question it's time to move on I would not leave you without a comforter he said that uh, he would bring to your remembrance all the things that I have taught you and I might add that when you build the wall of truth, who, what Bible character might you liken that to if you're building a wall of truth? What, was, what does the name Nehemiah mean? Does anybody know? It means, why ask him? Shouldn't you have some answers? It means comforter. Thank you very much. Next question. Dr. Olatunji, please. Please come forward. Are you prepared? Yes, I'm prepared. Thank you. Your Honor, the economy has been in shambles. Can you speak up, please? My Your Honor, the economy has been in shambles. Got wars all over the world. The gas price is up to $7.23. And we have just passed a law stating we would just rest one day a week on the first day of the week that we can bring the gas prices down. And guess what? The gas prices have been going down a little bit every day since that law's been passed. And just last week on CNN, Jesus appeared on the Larry King show. I know he's retired. I know he's retired. I know he's retired. All right. Jesus just appeared on the... Colin O'Brien? No, Colin, no, no, no. That's, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. All right. Oh, Anderson Cooper, he, he, Jesus just appeared on the Anderson Cooper show, and Anderson Cooper got converted to Jesus. And the whole world's converted, and not just Jesus appearing, but all the angels, Elvis, Presley, Tupac, Michael Jackson, have come and told the world that we need to keep Sunday in the honor of the Sabbath. Do you know how many criminal defendants claim to me they found Jesus? It happens every day. These little, these little demons come in my courtroom charged with the most heinous crimes, and they come in dressed like schoolboys holding their Bibles. So that doesn't move this court at all. But anyway, please ask your question. <laughs> and there are people who have given testimonies on Facebook, on YouTube, of how their dead loved ones have come back. And these seven-day Adventists are saying that these dead loved ones that have come back, Michael Jackson, Elvis, and, um, and um, Tupac, and all these dead entertainers that have come back to life to tell the world to come to God that they're the devil. When all they're doing is doing good and things have been improving. Now, the seven-day Adventist church says that the dead don't know anything, that the dead are just sleeping. But my Bible tells me in the book of Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, that there was a rich man and a man named Lazarus, and one died, and, rich man and Lazarus, and one man died and went to heaven immediately, and the other one went to hell immediately. How are they going to say that the dead are dead when the Bible says after they died, they were still living? All right, do we have a, someone, Mr. Bivens? Or I'm sorry, Dr. Bivens, would you please step forward? And the question is, how do you prove that the rich man in Lazarus' seven-day Adventist does not teach the doctrine of the immortality of the soul, which you say is spiritualism that we believe? You know, unfortunately, I raised my hand before I heard the question. <laughs> 
Are but you prepared this, to answer it? This esteemed gentleman has put forth several claims, um, all of which are false. And in a message I heard this morning, that DNA is very complicated. If you make one break in the, in the chain, the entire thing is defective. So my goal is to break the chain of your evidence. And in Revelation 1-7, mm -hmm. it says, Behold, I come with clouds. I, I, I don't have reading glasses here, so someone, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. But every eye saw him on no, YouTube. No, wait, your, your Honor, he's interrupting me. Can I finish, please? <laughs> Should we let him finish? Yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, my Bible says that every eye shall see him, and I don't watch television, and I don't know who he's talking about, and I haven't seen Jesus come. My Bible says that every single eye shall see him, and not everybody here, I'm sure, saw him come. So it is not true that this is the real Jesus. Um, and I've broken the chain of his evidence, and I'd like someone else to speak to the rest of his claims. <laughs> <laughs> Young man right there. And unless we go through all those willing to speak, uh, we're giving every witness only one shot at the podium. Unless there's no one else. I, I saw another hand. There was a gentleman, young man, or, or middle-aged man. Would you please come forward? Thank you. <laughs> Sir, go ahead. Come forward, please. Your Honor, be nice. Look, when someone says young man to me, I take it as a real compliment. Go ahead. Come on up. Amen. So how do you prove that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus does not prove the immortality of the soul? Your Honor, my name is Rodney McClellan. Thank you, Rodney. And first of all, we believe in sola scriptura. We believe in the Bible and the Bible alone. And I look at the first reading of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. By the way, I appreciate that you're going right into the rule book rather than giving a flowery speech or, or uh, getting on a soapbox. You're going right to the rule book. That impresses a judge. The key here is, the key here is we want to look at continuity in our argument. We cannot base our argument solely on just one text or on one word or on one phrase. So I want you to follow with me along in your Bible, if you, if you wish, and read that verse for me. That is Ecclesiastes verse 12, verse 7. Okay, now, I'm going to... Witnesses don't ask questions of the attorneys. Oh, I'm sorry, Your so Honor. So if you want the text... I will read it for go you. Go ahead and read it, please. Thank you. And it says in our hearing, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. What text now, was that? I'm sorry. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Thank you. Now follow me here, because I know your argument will be that that does not quite make a proof, mm -hmm. but a proof is built on a bunch of statements that point us to the truth. So let's go now to keep our finger there, move to Acts chapter 2, verse 34. That's the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 34. Now we're going to deal with someone 
a character of the Bible here. It says, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said to himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. So we're seeing here that he did not go to heaven, but we would also want to deal with that, sit thou on my right hand. So keep your finger there. You're going to keep mm -hmm. these all for building our proofs. Let's step back to see what David was actually saying in Psalms chapter 17, verse 15. book of Psalms, chapter 17, verse 15. Here, can we, Your Honor, can we agree that the words of these Psalms are at least attributable to David? Depends on the Psalm. All right. Go with me here. Psalms, chapter 17, verse 15, and it says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Amen. Keep your finger there. All right, let's move on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And I can't quite... find that as quick as my um, doctor there. I'll go ahead and read it for you. Thank you. <laughs> but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And the next one, 14 as well. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Hmm. So I would, you, am I able to ask questions of the judge? <laughs> you can try. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, there's a pattern here I would like you to notice. What is that pattern word that we're seeing here? Sleep. Now, when David referred to, what did David say? Awake. David said he was awake, that he would awaken. Here we're talking about in verse 14 and verse 13, concerning those which are asleep. Now, who would we be referring to who is asleep here? Are we talking about a nap? Are we talking about the evening nap time, something many of us probably would like to enjoy right now? <laughs> or are we talking here in, in context? Because again, somewhere in my memory, I remember a gentleman talking about different dimensions, and we were talking about having an understanding of the holistic scripture. So we also want to understand it in context. All right. We're supposed to only have, I've been told, five minutes per question. I'm just warming up. I, I understand. I understand. You could probably spend a day on one question, but I we gotta get go the, on. I've got another dozen texts we can go through. If you we're want. not gonna have time. All right. So, so let me. Let, can I? Can I direct you to the other part of his question? I understand there's texts to support the fact that death is just asleep, but what about this parable he raised about the rich man and Lazarus? I will defer to my fellow Christians and allow them to answer that because I think they have a very positive answer for me. All right. Dr. Kim, thank you. Uh, thank, you you? thank you, Mr. McClellan. Yes. My name is Calvin Kim. And do you have a criminal record? No, I do not. Should you have a criminal record? That's a whole other story. Okay. But on record, I do not. <laughs> okay. 
in relation to the question that was just asked about whether this was a parable, the student of the Bible should discern, be able to discern that which is literal and that which is allegorical. The problem is sometimes when they take the whole word as being allegorical, that leads to problems as well as people who take everything as being literal. If you just read the story carefully and observe the details. For example, here, the Lazarus is speaking to someone in heaven. So does that mean if you are in hell that you can speak to someone in heaven? Is that possible? Is that what the Bible teaches? Another thing here, it says, for example, here he is in hell, and he says in verse 24, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. If you are really in literal hell, is that what you want someone to do, is take their finger and dip it in water and touch your tongue? I would want Niagara Falls on top of me. <laughs> now, for the sake of time, I'll end here, but if you just observe carefully, interpret correctly, and apply, you will find that this is just an allegory. It's just a parable that Jesus told. Amen. Does that satisfy your question? That, that sounds good. I, I do like um, my brother's um, Psalm 17, verse 15. I never Thank saw you. it from that standpoint. But let me give the, the, um, the interpretation of it. Um, this is a parable. Now, and everywhere in Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when it talks about the retribution of the wicked being cast in hell, every time Jesus says it, it's always as an event done at the end of the world which is confirmed in Revelation 20 after the millennium. So when you read this parable here, it says something contrary to what we've been reading in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So what happened, this is personal testimony. As I read this text here, the historical background through Josephus was is that Jesus met the Jews on a common ground based on a belief that of, of people going into the afterlife. He met them on their own ground. The rich man represented the Jews who were rich in truth, and the poor man, Lazarus, represented the Gentiles. Because they were neglecting the gospel of salvation to the Gentiles, Jesus was in essence saying, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And also, Jesus talked about future retribution as if it was going on right now. And I looked, and I was reading through an 1888 version of Bible readings for the home, and it had that same interpretation there, confirming that what he was referring to here was future retribution as if it was happening right now based on a common belief of the Jews of that time, according to Josephus. Thank you, Dr. O. Tosh Paklub, next, next prosecutor. So we'd like to keep it, the question and answer, if we could, to five minutes. So if you could give him the bullet, not the shotgun. All right. Okay. Your Honor, the Seventh Adventist group of people is a very interesting group of people. They yes. claim to have the truth in the last days, but I submit that they actually teach doctrines of devils. They are very into teaching about a vegetarian lifestyle, and they say that we can't eat certain meats. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit speaks expressly in the latter time that some shall depart from the faith. These have departed from the mainstream Christian faith. What, what verse are you in? 1 okay. Timothy 4 verse 1. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time some shall depart, depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And one of these doctrines, it says in verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. These claim to say that we can't eat certain meats and the Bible calls that a doctrine 
of devils. Do we have an AFCO graduate in the room, Andrew Yeager? can only take one at a time. I have to pick somebody. Please state your name. Did you just really go all the way around? <laughs> Please state your name, yeah, sir. I did. Andrew Yeager. All right. Now, you're a graduate of Bible school. Is that right? Yeah, I am. Okay. Are you prepared to answer me. a question? Um, I have a short little thing I'd like to say, but yes. I'd like to hear you sing, by the way. Could you sing us a song? Another time. Maybe. I'd like you to sing the answer. Okay. First, <laughs> all right. First, <laughs> okay. First of all, it says forbidding to marry, which, according to the church, um, we are not forbidden to marry. And second of all, it says um, abstaining from meats, which I just want to make a short point, and that's all I want to say is that um, meats refers to um, animals that we can eat, as opposed to um, where God says that there are certain animals that are not meant for meat. How do we know it says that? In How do we know it's referring only to certain types of meats? It says, for every creature of God is good. Hang on a second. I, it worked in my head. It's been a while. Okay. These are meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. And he has not created all... Hang on. For every creature is good. Yeah, you're right. Hang on. This worked in my head. Just give me a second. I lost my train of thought. What, if you, if you come back to it, let us know. The man in the green shirt, you got your chance. Did you go to AFCO as well? Same class as his sisters. We're expecting big things. State your name, please. <laughs> Wayne Labins. Dwayne Lemon? Wayne. Wayne Labins. I'm confused. I thought we had a prosecutor named Dwayne Lemon. You're Wayne Lemons. Labins, as in cabins. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, you can hold it. It's fine. We're in First Timothy chapter four, verses three and four. It says, "For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving." Now, if I have a plate of maggots in front of me. And I pray over it with thanksgiving. Is the Bible saying I should eat them or can eat them? Does that make common sense? No. Look at the next verse. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now again, if I just pray over a plate of maggots, is that going to turn the maggots into something that's palatable and nutritious? No. The key verse is sanctified by the word of God. What does that mean? If you turn back to Leviticus 11, you'll see a whole list of the meats that God did authorize for us to eat and those that we should not eat. So just by praying, you cannot make the food good to eat according to the word of God. Is that a satisfactory answer to your question? I'm asking him. Somewhat, but can I follow up with another question? Sure, that's fine. Follow up with another question. Well, didn't Peter have a dream mm -hmm. that God told him specifically that 
We should not call any foods common or unclean. I mean, that's the Old Testament. Yeah, you're referring to We're Acts New 10. Testament Christians. You're referring to Acts 10. If you turn to chapter 10 of the book of Acts, you'll see that Peter was in a vision. And he had a vision of a sheep being let down and a voice from the Lord saying, of all these wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. I'm in verse 12. The voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, these were unclean meats. We know they're unclean because the Bible says they're unclean here, but also from Leviticus 11, which I referred to earlier. Doesn't verse 15 say, What God hath cleansed that call not thou common? He certainly has. Is he referring to all those creeping four-footed beasts? It certainly would imply that, but you need to read on. Verse 17. Now, while Peter doubted in himself, even he was wondering what the meaning of the vision was. Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Now, if you know anything about um, Jewish history, it was illegal for Jews to associate with Gentiles, certainly under their own house. And Cornelius was outside the house. He didn't actually come in. If you go down to verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up and saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Verse 27, As he talked with them, they went in together and found many that were coming together. Verse 28, and this is the key verse. And he said unto them, you, knew, you know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come in unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So here's the real answer to the meaning of the vision. God is not saying anything about food here. And in fact, um, Peter, who needed to learn this lesson, um, realizes now that the gift of salvation in the Holy Spirit is not just for the Jews. It is for the Gentiles as well. And uh, we praise God. Does that answer God. your question? And in fact, this, this text... <laughs> this text adds... You know something I learned early on in court? If it answers the question, you should... Well... We'll let you go this on. But, but, but if you're this ahead, vital. you may want to stop. If anything, <laughs> this text in the New Testament gives evidence further that God still makes a distinction between the clean and the unclean foods because he's not talking about the food. God is not saying you can now eat everything under the sun. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Prosecutor Lemon. Your Honor. Yes, Counsel. Seventh-day Adventists claim that their distinction to their religion is something called a sanctuary message, which deals with judgment. And one of the great challenges that we have is that they teach that not only will the wicked be judged, that's fine, the Bible teaches that, but they also claim that the righteous will be judged. And Jesus made it very clear. He says, I already know my sheep. So why would Jesus find a need to judge the righteous? Clearly, he needs to judge the wicked. But I want to see from the Bible 
where the Bible lets us know that God also judges the righteous. Is there someone who would like to answer this question? All right. Uh, we have a young man named Joe Reeves from Southern University. In fact, he's, you're getting ready to graduate. Is that right, young man? What's your degree that you're graduating with? Theology. The man has letters. He almost has letters. Are you prepared to answer this question? Yes, I am. With two texts, the first being 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 9. Paul here is not writing to the wicked. He's writing to believers in Corinth. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So both the wicked who will receive the bad and the righteous who will receive the good must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Second text. This would be Romans chapter 14 to corroborate this. Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Again, he is writing to Christians, this time in the city of Rome. Your Honor, in both instances, both in the book of Romans as well as in the book of Corinthians, we find that there were gross sins that were taking place amongst professed people of God. This is even more confirmed in the book of Matthew chapter 24, starting at about verse 44. And I believe that these are individuals that constitute those whom Paul was addressing when he made the point about individuals who will appear before the judgment. It says in Matthew 24 and verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. He says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. But then there's a transition. He says, Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over his goods, but, and if that evil servant, now it's interesting, that Jesus refers to an individual as evil, but he also calls him a servant, which means he's a professed follower. And we find that that was the issue that Paul had in the church of Rome as well as in the church in Corinth. There were individuals who were professed followers. It's interesting that you brought up 2 Corinthians 5, because if you went to 1 Corinthians 5, you would see all sorts of gross sins that the so-called followers of God were committing. So therefore, we find that it is still true that there are wicked in the church, wicked people who are professing to be servants of God, that certainly will come before the judgment. But again, there is nothing in the Bible that clearly tells us that the righteous will be judged. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we must all, including himself. I don't think you're done. Wait a minute. Wasn't Paul a murderer? A forgiven one. Do you want to ask any more questions? That was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Mr. Sizemore, Prosecutor Sizemore. Um, I'll give you one, though. Add, add to that Ecclesiastes 3.17.
I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. But that's a very good, that was a very good argument. What text Praise is God. that? Ecclesiastes 3.17. Thank you. By the way, if you come to another Army Bible camp, as I recall, he asked the same one at the last camp. So, all right. That's all right. Okay. Prosecutor Sizemore. Okay, it's my understanding that, uh, following up actually on the last question, I understand that the, if you could say the Achilles heel of you Seventh-day Adventists, it would be the whole idea of the judgment scene. Because all of your doctrines tend to be tied to that judgment scene. And um, you try to claim that the judgment took place beginning in the year 1844, which we all know as Babylonians is not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself says in the Bible, in John chapter 12, Jesus says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. In verse 31, it says the judgment of the world took place in 31 AD, not in 1844. And so my question, I guess, would be how in the world can you claim as following the Bible and teaching the Bible to say that a judgment begins in 1844 when Jesus himself said it began and took place at the cross. Where are you claiming that Jesus clearly claimed that the judgment took place Now the is the judgment of this world. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 31. I thought I announced that. How do we know that the now is referring to the cross? Oh, that's good. I'm on trial here, right? <laughs> because in verse 32... Counsel. Because in verse 32... Counsel, please drop the attitude. <laughs> Because in verse 32 he says, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. He's referring to his crucifixion about being lifted up there. Thank you for the clarification. Okay. Is there someone who would like to answer the question? We have a brave soul. Are you just stretching or do you... In the back? Just stretching, okay? It's not an auction, but if you do raise your hand, you'll be brought up. Okay, the question would be, you Adventists say that the judgment scene began in the year 1844. I've heard your seminars. But the Bible clearly teaches Jesus speaking here. If you have a Bible that has the red lettering, it's red here. Getting ready to go to the cross, Jesus says in John chapter 12 and verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Then he says, now is the prince of this world cast out, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw um, all... I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Referring to his crucifixion, at that time, the judgment takes place. Do we have someone that's prepared to answer the question? Jared, uh, Jared, yes. Jared Thurman, is that correct? Yes, sir. I believe in the original Hebrew that the argument there is not just a typical judgment that we're used to. And so when we look at the atonement that Seventh-day Adventists believe, uh, we believe in a, a broad scope of that word. And so the judgment of the enemy was pronounced at the cross. Declared, and as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that is continuing onward, and now the investigation is going on of who will receive the atonement. Does that answer maybe, your question? Maybe clarification. Not, not, not very well, because it does, it does say here that it was a judgment of the world. And my understanding is you teach that it was the judgment of the world that took place in 1844, or at least began. So in other words, you're claiming that the judgment at the cross was the judgment of Satan? 
the judgment of the king of this world. That would be my, my response. Okay. Now, you're saying that it's referring to the complete judgment of the entire world? Well, reading from the Bible, it says, now is the judgment of this world. And then it says separately, now is the prince of this world cast out. So the question would be, when it says now is the judgment of this world, is it the judgment of this world or is it the judgment of the prince of the world? Okay, again, please. She's going to come up after me and fill in the details, I guess. That's fine, but I don't want the audience shouting out answers. <laughs> okay, that, that's a good, good response. My thought was more so um, as the Seventh-day Adventist on trial. <laughs> that as Seventh-day Adventists, uh, the real issue is the atonement. And I think this, this picture of the judgment really comes down to a decision being made. So as far as when the judgment, uh, yeah, I think we're getting down to semantic of the word. So if this lovely person wants to come up and answer more clarification, my thought is on the, on the answer of the word, the decision has been made at the cross. Uh, are you the lovely lady he was talking about? Who's? No, my wife didn't say anything. She's sitting back there. <laughs> I see a, a very good-looking man, but were you one? Oh, I wasn't referring to the good-looking man. Is there a lady who wanted to answer this? Please come forward. Okay, then, then the other gentleman. Mr. Okay, whoever gets here first, on, but don't run. <laughs> oh, I don't want to take your mind. Okay, this might take a while. If you read in Genesis chapter 2, I believe it is, that God gave Adam dominion of this world. And when Adam fell, Satan gained dominion of the world, and man became sinful. And you can prove this by reading in the Gospels where Jesus was tempted, Matthew chapter 4. He was told um, that he had, could give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world or to whoever he wished. So Satan is in control of this world at this point. Satan lost at the cross, and he will be judged, and also his kingdom, and that's the reference to the world. So it's the judging of, the, of Satan and the judging of his kingdom, which is this world. How can you judge something unless you have authority over it? And when Christ died on the cross, he gained authority back from Satan. He's the second Adam, and he took dominion away from Satan. Does that answer your question? Very good, yeah. Spoken like a true yeah. uh, uh, yeah, authority. Sheriff. Yes, legal authority. <laughs> yeah. An officer of the law. Thank Actually, you. I'd like to give a, a couple of additional sure. answers there. Sure, go ahead. Well, you know, the um, Bible never contradicts itself. So we, we could actually turn to Romans 2.16, and it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, putting the judgment yet in the future at that point. Wait, wait, wait. Can you slow down? No, I can't. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, then, you then lost me. Slow enough. If anybody's as slow as I am, could you... <laughs> okay. what's Romans 2.16, Romans 2.16, right, in the day you. when God shall judge the secrets of men uh, by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He's putting the judgment, Paul is writing well after 31 AD, putting a judgment in the future. He's saying the judgment's future there in Romans 2.16. Acts 17.31 also puts the judgment in the future. Acts 17.31 says, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge 
the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has uh, given assurance to all men that he has raised him from the dead. So again, the future judgment of the world. Okay, so you're saying there's different kinds of judgments? Yeah, and, and you'll notice these here are judgments on people continually and it, putting it yet in the future. And, and, you, and it's using the same terminology you found in John chapter 12. It said, now is the judgment of this world. But yet you find people writing about the judgment after the cross, saying the judgment's yet in the future. And then, of course, you go to Revelation chapter 14 in verse 7, and you find that he says there's a time that comes looking into the future when we would be preaching a present tense judgment. And when it says, now is the judgment taking place. Now has judgment come, right? And then, of course, you get to Revelation 22. And do you know what it says there in Revelation 22, uh, uh, 10, or 11 and 12? When it says, everybody that's unjust, let them be unjust still. The righteous be righteous still. The judgment is ended. He's making a declaration that a judgment's over. And then he says, I come, I come quickly. So they, the, the answer I was looking for, I guess you would say, there would be the fact that you do have New Testament text putting a judgment in the future and then the judgment ending before the second coming. So that's what I was looking for. But he had a good answer. The other, the other fellow had a good answer, too. I just had to give him a hard way to go. Thank you very much. All right, Prosecutor Myers, are you ready for your next question? Okay. We'll have to keep it shorter if we're going to do another round. Yeah, we'll do that. We have another All right. approximately 18 minutes. Um, so uh, I heard in some earlier arguments that uh, you Adventists uh, do not believe that uh, when a person dies, they go straight to heaven or straight to hell. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. The Bible says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing this, that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8 reads, We are confident, I say, and willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What? That's your question? What? That's right. How do you answer this verse? What do you mean by that? <laughs> this verse proves that when a person is absent from the body, they are present with the Lord. How do you answer to this verse? All right. I saw a lady with her hand up here. There was a gentleman coming there, Your Honor, but uh, your choice. I saw the lady first. Go ahead, ma'am. It's your court. You can do whatever you want. My name is Alma. Within reason. I just have a very short answer. Um, I just want to say that I believe that this passage is just very simply saying that when we're home in the body, we're in this world and we're on this earth, and we're away from our heavenly home, heaven. But when we um, are at home with the Lord is um, when we will be go to heaven and we'll be in heaven with God. And so it's just very simple. Right. But... When we die, we go home to be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Did you want the other man to? Let's, yeah. Let's, let's give the uh, other gentleman a crack at this answer. Please walk with purpose. <laughs> okay, well, it's just cutting away from your time. What's your name, sir? My name's Brian. Hi, Brian. Take a look at verse 7 first. All right. 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, knowing that, obviously, your question is absent from the Lord. Well, could you say that it is not his immediate present, not yet clothed upon him with a hope, with a house which is from heaven, which we see in verse 2? Not able to see him face to face. Take a look at verse, chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, For it is the God who commands light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light from the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you would like some other scriptures, you can take a look at 1 Corinthians 13.12. Take a look at 3 John 14, verse 8. If you want, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 12. Well, let's just turn to whatever text you want to read, and I'll let you read it. <laughs> what does it say? What verse are we going to? 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for the spirit gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to Wait, excel. did you I'll say 1 Corinthians 13, 12? Correct. That's the love chapter. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. <laughs> what does this talk about? Well, I think, are you talking about 2 Second Corinthians, maybe? 1 Corinthians 13, I'm trying to give you an out, verse buddy. 12. You might want to take this one. Okay, go ahead and read it for us, would you? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Even so... You, since you, first 13, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah, my bad. I can't read. That's all right. I was trying to help you out, but that's all right. So what is the verse? <coughs> Your Honor, it seems stuff. like we're straying from the question. <laughs> all right. I just lost my spot. All right, well, I think I'll go ahead and... Uh, go ahead. Just if he finds it, he can maybe uh, augment the answer. But All go right. ahead, counsel. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Uh, the Bible says, We are confident, I say, and willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that we may... That uh, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Um, when Paul is speaking here, and he talks about uh, rather being with... Can you hear me? When Paul is speaking here and talking about rather being with the Lord, being absent from the body, and being present with the Lord, he does not tell us in this particular chapter when that actually happens. You have to go back to 1 Corinthians, the same author, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, tells us exactly when that happens. You would assume that this happens at death, but the same author writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 
and verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at when? The last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, how? Incorruptible, and we shall be what? Changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on what? So when does the mortal put on immortality? At death or at the last trump? The last trump. If we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 very quickly, and then I'll wrap it up with this. We see in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's making an analogy here between the old body and the new body. It says, verse 2, For in this we groan earnestly to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we might, be, we might not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of what? life. So he's using the exact terms here. He says, I can't wait for mortality to go away and for me to be what? Immortal. And then in 1 Corinthians, he tells us that that happens not at death, but when? At the last trump, when the dead in Christ shall rise. Amen? So if I hear you I correctly, mean, there's two houses, an earthly house, a heavenly house, and in between there's nakedness, yeah. which is death. That's right. Okay, thank you. Um, now, we've got only about 10 more minutes. We're not going to get through the whole panel. So you guys can work out amongst yourselves. Is there someone that's really anxious to answer, uh, ask a question and you want to defer to the man in front of you? That's fine. Dr. Punnett, we'll let you go next. Okay. Your Honor, uh, I've just come back from uh, the meeting of some top economists and religious leaders in our community and they are of the unanimous view that there should be unity of belief for prosperity and to avoid calamity facing our community. We would be really remiss in our duty if we did not make adequate and advanced preparation. But one group is rather uncooperative. We have no choice but to try to kind of rein them into our side as well. They're not only stubborn but pretty tricky. We do not want to force them, though, and this august body is open, fair, and free. We would like them to have a fair chance. May I present the options that I would like to put before them? Briefly, yes. Thank you. Buddhism is the most peaceful of all religions. And our committee has decided that everyone should become a Buddhist. So I was a Hindu. I've become a Buddhist just for the sake of the good of the community. So here is my choice, open and fair to you. Become a Buddhist. And we will all be united. What or if else? someone doesn't believe in the teachings of Buddhism? Or else. Here's, the, here's how we are being so fair. Become a Buddhist and we will all be united. Or else. Show convincingly why Buddhism is not a safe truth and we will all become Christians and we will preserve our unity. Go ahead, sir. Edmund Trujillo. Howdy. Um, 
I don't have the newspaper article with me, but the Buddhist monks were fighting each other with sticks uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I figure if the pastors can't get along, I don't think the congregation do much better. I would... Uh... USA Today. I'll look it up later. Your Honor. I'm not the Honor. But you're looking at me. Your Honor. Those Buddhists were only professed as Buddhists. No, they, they hit pretty not, hard. They were not... Let him, let him respond. Okay. okay, please. They were not following Buddhism. So you cannot call that Buddhism. Well, that'd be like going to the general conference and seeing everybody hitting each other upside the head and uh, thinking. In other words, Your Honor, if you look for bad behavior, not a single belief system will stand in this world. Or at least we don't use sticks, but anyways. Do you have anything else to say besides yes, citing? With with, with respect to, I mean, I thought that was pretty outrageous, you know? Sure, I was but, but he probably has yeah. a valid claim they probably weren't really living up to the faith that they no, profess. That's not Buddhism. This was their general conference, what I understood. They were okay. beginning to, we, to get in there. But anyways. Do you mind okay. getting to the heart of the question on why we shouldn't okay. just all be Buddhists? Okay, but with respect to Buddhists, Buddhists do not give you the hope that the Word of God gives. As a matter of fact, when you were talking about witnesses earlier, um, Everybody was talking about the witnesses before. But Jesus said that ye are all my witnesses if we believe in him. So, but anyways, but with respect to the, the Buddhist religion, they do not give you the hope that the word of God gives. Jesus Christ said that he is not a historical I, figure. He point is. of order, your honor. He is not stating the truth. Look, I prayed all night last night, but anyways. Okay, <laughs> let, let me... Why do you... What is he stating that's not true? He's saying Buddhism does not give hope. What is his reference? What is my reference? Yes, to say that Buddhism does not give hope when the Dhammapada does give hope. Well, let me just say this. It doesn't give the hope that the Word of God does. The Word of God actually states that it transforms us. It gives us not only hope, but it actually gives us the power of the creative God in our own hearts. I will defer this question for another later time. I am not convinced of that answer. Thank you, Mr. Trujillo. All right. Can we have another Daniel Keith? Pardon? I think he wanted to just answer briefly. Go ahead and, well, I'll let you choose. Do you want to answer the last question or do you want a new question? I just want to answer that one real quick. All right. The only danger with... Um, I know you don't need a mic, but go ahead and... The only danger it. with saying that we should follow Buddha is that it leaves emptiness in that if we look at Romans 5.8, it says that, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It never said Buddha died for us. And so therefore, I want to appreciate that sacrifice. And if we need to go into further verses, we can. But at this point in time, I say that the only one true God sent his son Christ, not Buddha, to die for us. So you mean to say that uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is wrong? Absolutely. 
on what basis do you say the Tibetan Book of the Dead is wrong? Because I've never based any of my faith on that book and it worked out and everything ah. I've based on on this has worked out. So if you, believe, if, if you base your truth on your belief, then anybody's belief is the truth. Okay, hold on a second. Hey. If you base your belief or your truth what, on your belief, then anybody's belief is the truth. How many churches are there built toward Buddha and how many are there built toward Christ? The numbers don't count. The reformers were Statistics single. always count. Wait a minute, Mr. Keith. Are you saying that the largest Christian faith should be the one we follow? No, I'm not saying that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Thank you. Let's what would you, do you want to answer the, your own question? Briefly. Read my book. <laughs> it's all back to the book. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I bought the book, by the way. I don't know if you were intrigued by his lectures, but I was intrigued enough to, to buy the book. All right? Uh, and I have one of your, a couple of your books, too. My mom gave them to me. She thinks you're kind of cute. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Oldfield. Uh, Next I, question, please. Your Honor, before I call uh, uh, my, uh, the, the accused or whatever you call him, let me just comment uh, for the good doctor that uh, some of our missionaries uh, uh, who were over in, in one of the, the Buddhist countries uh, asked uh, a couple of Buddhist priests what nirvana was because that's the highest, right. nirvana. And, 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 the, and the, uh, the priest was burning leaves and he said... See that smoke? That's what nirvana is. And I've never forgotten that, that Buddha, the highest of Buddha, nirvana, is eternal non-existence. While Jesus said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. Thank you. Anyway, I would like to call Melissa. Is she here? Can you go ahead and state your question so we yeah, can be no, chewing no, no, on no, it no, no, no. in case she doesn't to, work out? I need to have her up, or, or I, I don't know her name. The, the other one will work. Okay. Well, while they're getting her, by the way, what does, the, what does prosecutor mean? Sometimes, sometimes people confuse it with another word, persecutor. <laughs> is that what a prosecutor is, is a persecutor? What is a prosecutor? Does anybody know? What does the word prosecute mean? Nope, not the accused. Nope. It means to advance the Melanie truth. Melanie will do, excuse me, Your Honor. I'm, I'm, excuse me. <laughs> to prosecute means to advance the truth. So we should all be prosecutors. Anyway, go ahead. Melanie, if Melissa's not here, I'd like to call uh, uh, Melanie to the witness stand, please. Melanie Mason, you've been summoned by the court. Please come forward. It's okay. It's okay. Since she was drafted rather than volunteered, you can, we can give you assistance if you need it. Uh, Melanie, you can I'm have a uh, lifeline if you want it. Uh, Go your, ahead and ask the question, please. Your Honor, the yes. reason I've, uh, I've called her to the witness stand is that she's a member of the staff, 
and of this uh, of this gathering, and as such, uh, I must I must take it for granted that she speaks as a staff member for this assembly. All right, Melanie. Let me ask you a question uh, before I start, and that is: Have you ever broken the speed limit? Yes. Yes or no? Uh, uh, have you ever? Uh, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting kind of personal. Well, well, I'll go on and I won't be long, uh, Your Honor. I'd like to read from uh, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have the reward. But when you, and you when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. I was here knowing this trial was going to be here today. I've been here all day, and I see it. I see it. Hypocrisy. Uh, excuse me for saying this, Your Honor, that during the, the morning and several times uh, people have been asked how many of you attended the prayer conference all last night. It would seem to me like going with the words of Jesus that those who, who attended all last night would not say anything. They would take their blessing home with them. But you made it a public thing. What do you say? The question is why I asked people to raise their hands as far as who had participated. Yeah, Jesus said, when you do these acts, don't let anybody know. And, and, and you had these people raise their hands, which was I have to an be answer. Posting. I have an answer. I have an answer to that. It's one thing to pump up yourself, but isn't it acceptable to esteem someone else? If it's going to encourage others with the testimony, you know, I was hoping, Your Honor, uh, that uh, and you're asking me uh, as if you didn't know. Don't you know the law, Your Honor? I know a few laws. Anyway, I no, don't know no, them all. No, because I'm encouraged because I think that there is a text of scripture that says they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Thank you. And I think that's what we were getting today, and I appreciate it. it was inspired by. It. Thank you very much. All right. Well, at this time, this court is adjourned. Oh, okay. The court is almost adjourned. Uh, oh, it's on. Um, this is the, f the second time we've done this, uh, this courtroom scene, and uh, we believe that it's, it is really a benefit because how many of you are kind of sitting in your seat trembling like, I hope they don't call on me? <laughs> like, I'll make sure that I don't scratch my nose or anything like that. They'll be like, you, come. You know, anyone felt like that? Don't raise your hand. But... You never know when you're going to be in a position to answer for your faith. Um, you never know when you're going to be called to give a reason for the hope that is within you. There are people out there with real questions, questions that um, at some points you may not know the answer to. And a, a group of us were talking and, you know, we were saying, you know, sometimes it's all right not to know the answer to the question. You can tell someone, listen, Give me 24 hours. Give me a week. I'm going to go back and research this. But the most important thing is that we want to inspire you to study the word of God. One day you will not have your pastor with you. Or worse yet, your pastor will turn against you. So how will you stand? Will you be able to stand on your own? Will you have taken the time to study the word of God so well on your own that if you're called to witness for your faith, you would be able to give a reason for the hope that is within you.
closing argument. Thank you very much. Court is adjourned. May the prosecutors please exit the courtroom. And uh, my bailiff has a night job. He's a singer. And he's going to sing a special music for us. Thank you.